0: Attention, friends. The episode you're about to hear was created prior to the enactment of the Well-Ordered Society Act. It is maintained here as a record, an archive, and a legacy of the wandering aimlessness that preceded our current predicament. It represents one step of many on the evolutionary journey from inherited defaults to holy, blessed, righteous surrender in the service. Of play, enjoy.
1: Adon Olam Asher Malach B'terem Koytirni Vra Leit Nasah B'Chefzukol Azay Melech Shemoni Kra B'Acharek Ichlo Tako Leva Adonim Lach Nora. Be who I am, is he Minat a Adon,
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Once again, that song is called Adon Olam. It is a, I guess you could call it a hymn. Um, Anyone who's ever been to a Jewish, Jewish, Jewish Shabbat service would know that song. It's a pretty prominent feature in any sort of Friday evening services, usually near the end of the service. I actually think it's the last song you sing in most Jewish, Jewish. I keep doing that. I wonder why. And <laughs> I think it's actually the last song you sing in a lot of Jewish services. You ever go to a Shabbat on Friday evenings? Um, at least until you get to the meal. And then there's like other songs, obviously. Um, but as a part of, like, I guess the, the formal service, it's the, uh, the end of the formal service. Um, I start this episode with that because today I want to talk about heresy, um, in particular, my own heresy. Uh, every once in a while, actually, it's, it's somewhat frequent. Um, people will ask me what my religious views are. And I suppose there's a history to that. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up with christian parents my dad is actually a pastor um so you know i i, I checked the box of the uh gay pastor's son um <laughs> not that the pastor is gay but the, the the gay son of the pastor i guess is how i should put it interesting how english can be ambiguous like that um but when i was a kid i you know i grew up with pretty religious parents they're still very religious i myself was very religious actually. Um, I, I, uh, you know, I was one of those kids that probably because of my parents' influence and the fact that I only ever went to religious schools pretty much, like, trying to think back, basically my entire childhood from first grade until I graduated high school, my parents made it a point to only send me and my sister to private religious schools, like, even At times when we couldn't afford it, that was like their, I guess their highest priority or one of their highest priorities in raising us. They wanted to make sure that wherever we went, we had a a healthy dose of Jesus in the curriculum. Which I don't blame them for. I think, you know, if you're parents, you want your kids to follow along in your beliefs. And especially if you're Christian parents, where you do think there are these grand eternal stakes. To it, then yeah, I suppose it's only reasonable to put your kids on a path where they walk away with religious beliefs similar to yours. Uh, I guess, unfortunately, <laughs> somewhere along the way, in my own religious zealotry, I'll call it, because you know, you, you pick up the beliefs of your parents as a kid, especially when your parents are trying as hard as minded, and you start to believe that way either because you truly believe it or because you're, you know, fitting in. You're doing the whole, like, tribal loyalty to your family, to your religion, to your society, the culture you're, that you're around. So that was me, you know. I mean, I actually used to read, like, quite enjoy going to church and doing all the, doing all the stuff. Um, I like to read a lot, as I mentioned on the podcast. So um, I did a lot of reading of the Bible when I was younger. And also, um, coming from a somewhat evangelical sect of Christianity, did my fair share of uh, online proselytization. Um, I actually, not too long ago, I looked up uh, to see if I could find some of the posts online in various internet forums that young 14, 13, 15-year-old me made in attempts to Proselytized to people on the internet. Man, I was a s- spicy teenager. Uh, I got banned from a number of these forums when I was a kid. So fortunately, that means the posts aren't easy to find. that you can still find find them. A couple of the forums I had like multiple accounts after I got banned, and I I would get banned for basically like being obsessively uh, evangelical in trying to convert people. Uh, apparently, I was somewhat fundamentalist. And my, my, I guess, seemingly sincere desire to save the souls of all the heathens on these various, more or less religiously oriented forums. So it was like topically appropriate, um, but perhaps my level of aggression was a bit too much. Um, I certainly, looking back at some of those posts, I'm like, oh, this is this is cringy, um, cringy in the way that like anything a 14 year old does on the internet is cringy, um, but. Along the way, I, I met, you know, I guess through some of these forums in some cases, um, people who challenged the ideas I had on religion, which is honestly somewhat impressive. Um, I wasn't super open to new ideas back then, so especially not religious ones, because if, you, if, if you're not religious, maybe it's hard to connect with the sentiment someone might have of this is a matter of like my eternal soul, and if you believe in eternal damnation, which Christians do, um, I don't know. There's a certain uh, unwillingness to consider something that could lead to, um, you know, lead to you changing your beliefs and compromising your eternal salvation. I guess. Um, in Christianity, there's this whole like field I don't know if it's a it's not necessarily just a Christian thing but like if you if you are familiar with like the concept of apologetics it's basically like defending your religion against critics um and you know there's this I guess maybe famous at least in Christian circles of C.S. Lewis author he kind of has this this paradox or trilemma I guess is what he calls it and it's like you know I think it I think it goes kind of like uh oh wait here we go I got the Wikipedia uh Lord Lunatic or Liar trilemma, right? Mm-hmm. And basically the the trick is you have to decide like everyone has to decide if Jesus was either lying, right? Like he was he, he was either like crazy, right? Or he was lying or he is God. Right. And and he sort of used that to set up these set of arguments where essentially you corner someone into saying that Jesus is God, right? Which is what Christians believe, at least Trinitarian Christians. And um, so yeah, you know, I wasn't super open, but along the way there were people I met on the internet who, and in real life, but mostly on the internet, who challenged my beliefs. And I remember in particular, there was this Jewish guy on this forum and we, he was very polite. I mean, super cordial, very polite, not at all rebuffed by my aggression. And he just kind of, you know, we we talked a lot about the Bible. I mean, that's sort of, um, I think for evangelicals, if you want to get them riled up, um, just talking about their own Bible is a great way to do it. Um, And if they're sincere and honest, they will face inconsistencies. Um, I think a lot of them, there's tricks they have to resolve those inconsistencies. but it's it's a great way to start. <laughs> it certainly worked for me, um, especially if you're you're talking to someone who's like you know the Bible is the inspired word of God because, an inconsistency is really something then that you set out to resolve. But I had that you know that conversation and a few others, and that kind of got me thinking about like Jewish religion. And the long and the short of it is, I basically came to the conclusion that because Christianity is supposed to be an extension of Judaism. And, but it's like incompatibly so, then that sort of invalidates Christianity and then it just kind of leaves you, leaves you back with Judaism. Now, when I first went through this walk, I was like, well, if Christianity isn't as valid as I thought it was, then perhaps Judaism also isn't and I'll just give up on religion altogether. Um, ultimately, though, I, I don't know, I found the story of Judaism compelling um and you know i i kind of you know i'm i guess i'm sort of attributing my leaving of christianity to these conversations i had um there were obviously a couple personal reasons why i was open to the idea um foremost of which was i i actually really didn't jive with the idea of eternal damnation i actually think it's maybe like the biggest thing within christianity that makes it internally inconsistent um where you have this narrative that you know god sent his son to die to save the world and then people can still go to hell so like that was really i'd say that was like the biggest thing for me that all along the way despite all my zeal and my dogma i was like you know i'm not sure that that makes sense um now it doesn't have to make sense right the whole idea of like faith in christianity is that things don't have to make sense but Um, I just something about it, I was like, that doesn't even make sense in like the world of faith. And if you were to take the Bible on the whole and you were to read it through a certain lens, I mean I mean I I know no people and and you can certainly see it this way, where if you read the Bible, it reads like this kind of terrible, violent book filled with all kinds of crazy ass ideas. Um and, and, and I get it. I mean, on the surface, if you're not really digging into it and you're not viewing it a certain way. Then yeah, I mean, you could look at it as a story like that, um, but if you are, I guess, looking at it from the perspective of the religious person, whether that's Christian, I would argue even Jewish or or Muslim for that matter, um, it's not really that. It's really this like beautiful story of redemption and of love, and um, I would argue um, empowerment for the individual. Um, you you kind of have to under, you have to understand, you have to be able to look past some of the like overtly violent segments of the Bible to see that in like the overarching story. Um, But because of that, right, because you sort of see it as a story of love, the, the whole notion of at the end of this story, when all is said and done, there are some people who will still be eternally damned, despite the fact that God killed his son to save them. Something about that was just like, I don't know. And, and the, Again, you know, the trick is, well, you, you, it only, you have to be able to choose, um, at least if you're not a Calvinist, right? And, and I think that there's like the Calvin, I'm not going to try to like explain it, but my layman's, <laughs> my layman's understanding of Calvinism is essentially they don't believe that there is a choice. So for, they accept the absurdity of it doesn't make sense that God would die for some people and then they have to still choose to believe it. Like the effectiveness of the saving act shouldn't depend on the belief of the person being saved, especially because there's an overwhelming amount of literature in the New Testament to suggest that you could not choose it. Um, You know, Paul uses this this phrase like you're dead in sin, and you know if you're dead in sin, if the effect of sin on you is what. You know, Paul at least says it is. How on earth could you choose, right? And and Paul kind of uses this imagery of like there are some people who are moved by the Holy Spirit to believe. So then, like, what happens if you're not moved by the Holy Spirit? And I think you know Calvinists, they're basically just like, well, I guess that just means you're shit out of luck, <laughs> um, which is you know I also am just like that doesn't seem consistent with this overarching story of love. And then the Christians who Believe in, I guess, choice in the matter, they take on the belief that, well, maybe you're not moved by the Spirit, but God will arrange for someone who is moved by the Spirit to come into interaction with you so that you have a chance at some point in your life to choose salvation. And that I would say is like the evangelical doctrine, right? It's like the reason they do the proselytizing is because they truly do believe that they are the vessels for God's. Um, salvation to come to those who are not moved by the Holy Spirit, because not everyone is right. Um, you can sort of think of it. Um, you know, if you think of the story of the Jews being freed from Egypt and Exodus, I, you know, the Christians and the Jews, I think, have very different views of how that of that story and its meaning. But um, I think, you know, if you were to focus on God hardening Pharaoh's heart, which is a part of the story. So if you're not religious, you're not familiar with that. Basically, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he's like, yo, free the, Jew- the Jewish people. They are in slavery in Egypt, essentially, or being oppressed within Egypt. And Moses is chosen by God to be um, sort of the spokesperson for the Israelites on, uh, to Pharaoh. Now, in part, this is, Moses was fit for this because when Moses was a child, he was um, abandoned, or basically, and the Pharaoh's daughter, brought him into the palace. So he was like familiar with the Egyptian royalty. So he would, he would be the ideal spokesperson because he understands the, the target audience probably better than anyone else among the Israelites. And along the way, as Moses attempts to convince Pharaoh to free the Jews, um, basically, you know, the story goes, God hardened Mo, uh, Pharaoh's heart. God made it so that Pharaoh basically always said, no, I'm not going to do that. And the reason for it is because God wanted to basically use Moses as a vessel and use other people in that story to kind of demonstrate God's miraculous power. And so from an evangelical perspective, they kind of see it the same way, right? You, as the evangelical Christian, play the role of being the vessel or the messenger from God to people who are not so moved by faith in the Holy Spirit. And through that, those people have a chance to be saved, which gives the mission or the mandate to go forth and proselytize like it is a divine mandate in that sense so that's why i think you know the evangelical christian types take that so seriously to the point of being annoying almost because from their perspective it's like there are people whose only chance of being saved is us serving faithfully in our duty to evangelize the overarching story of love, and, that, and that's how I would say I've always thought of it. I mean, even as a kid, um, the, the inconsistency of eternal damnation not being fully resolved—like, there's no part of the Christian biblical understanding that's like, and that, or at least not the standard one, where the end of it is Jesus dies for everyone's sins, and then everyone goes to heaven. Period. That's that's I don't know of any mainstream Christian philosophy that like that's how it works. There's always this concept of like, you have to believe and have faith and and practice, right? And differing degrees of how much of each of those you need to do. So that was like one of the big reasons why that internally for me, as I guess open to criticism, like if you were going to take an angle of attack on my Christian zeal, that would be one. And then of course the other was, I was, you know, this um, gay kid growing up in a religious setting where... At least for the Christians that I was around, like that was very much not okay. you know it was like one of those um, big sins and to be fair, in their defense, um, the it's not like any particular sin is worse than any other sin, right So I don't think that anyone formally would say it like that. However, as a person from the the sinner community that's looking at this the the segment of Christians I interacted with as a kid spoke more about and more against the particular sin of homosexuality than others. Um, so you could argue, no, you're, you wouldn't even argue it, right? I mean, it is true in the Christian faith that you know fornication and adultery are just as big sins as homosexuality. But the level of angry and seemingly hateful zeal with which people talked about homosexuality was pretty much unmatched like I don't I didn't you don't really at least I didn't see you know within the church the same level of vigor applied towards all of the fornicators in the church or all of the people committing adultery and I think it's because it's like well we all do that and we're all walking in this path of Christ towards forgiveness and we're all trying so we're not going to be too hard on ourselves because we can all see that in ourselves but then there's this other sin, homosexuality, which we can't all see in ourselves, and therefore we can beat up on that more. Um, it's not universal, but certainly I would say like the overwhelming theme and spirit in most uh, Christian circles I encountered, and maybe even still, still to this day. Um, I think Christians, like the rest of society, have gotten a lot better about that, um, or at least a little bit more compassionate about it, <laughs> but it is still very much a, uh, a thing. Um, So those two things were kind of like internal reasons that would, would be openings through which someone could shoot an arrow to knock down my Christian fervor. Um, And then, you know, again, the external conversations I would have in my own attempts to proselytize people, um, you know, people make their own arguments, they give you their own reasons, and you sort of walk away with, I think, just a deeper understanding for the other perspective. And as I guess a fairly curious kid, and also an avid reader, uh, you know, there's just a lot of ways that I was willing to engage that conversation. I've also always had this mindset that I don't, I don't worry about protecting the things I believe. Like I don't, anything I believe, I don't hold on to this. Like, well, I can't consider it's falsehood. Um, I, if I believe in something, then entertaining the thought that it might be false, couldn't hurt it. If I truly believe in it, maybe that's like not a good way of looking at things but i've always felt that way like if my faith in you know christianity is strong then there's nothing wrong with having a conversation with or considering an alternate opinion right uh because the strength of my faith should counter you know any attempt to shake it and similarly like if i believe something is true then no amount of entertaining falsehood makes the truth not true so there's literally nothing to fear in considering alternate ideas. And I guess, I don't know, I've always sort of felt that way. So I, that, I think, is probably the biggest, I guess, trait I've had that really opened the door to considering other ideas. And then if you dig into, if you walk, start to walk that path of, like, Christianity claims itself to be an extension of Judaism, I actually think it would have less problems if it didn't. But it does. So (laughs) on those grounds, if you come from like, and I was coming from like this, you know, sort of evangelical Christian perspective, um, they tend to view, evangelical Christians tend to view the Bible a bit more, um, with more weight as being like inspired by God, meaning that it should be more internally consistent. There are some sects of really every religion that, that don't give the text of the Bible that level of authority. And, and as a result, they're able to, like, mush past some of the inconsistency in a way that doesn't require them to, like, reckon with that. Um, however, the sect of Christianity I grew up with um, was very much like the Bible is an authority. And therefore, an inconsistency is something to consider, um, something to take seriously. Um, so if you start to understand what Jews think, and this is, I think, the big step for me that ultimate, like the the big step that led to my Christian downfall, was a lot of Christianity's view of Judaism. And when I say Christianity again, I, I realize there's like a bazillion denominations, a bazillion ways to practice Christianity and to understand it. So I'm really speaking from like the perspective of I don't want to say mainstream, but like let's just say like evangelical Christianity. Um, it's probably true for like Baptists and like. The Christian Reformed Church, and like there's these, these sects of Christianity that are, they are fairly common in the United States. You know, it's the, the Calvary Chapel sect, the, the kind you could, you know, you were to go to any random church, um, especially a non denominational one, you'd, you'd probably see this view expressed. But it's, um, they have this view of the Jewish Bible, the, the Old Testament, as they call it. And there's all these stories in the Old Testament where there's a Christian view of them. So a good example is there's a story in the Old Testament where God tells Abraham to kill his son, Isaac, and, you know, he takes him up to the mountain and right before he goes to plunge the knife and do the sacrifice into Isaac, you know, God stops Abraham. He sends an angel who like, you know, stops Abraham from doing it. And then Abraham doesn't kill Isaac. And a lot of Christians will view that story in like a Christologic theme, right? Oh, this is a you know foreshadowing for when God sacrifices His Son. Um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of ways that Christians look back at the, the New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament, and they kind of in, interpolate this Christian interpretation of it. The best example of this, I, I would say, actually, is the book of Hebrews. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this book in the New Testament called Hebrews, and it's basically a story about, or it's a book about the stories of the Old Testament sort of written in Paul's, um, perspective or in like the Christologic light. No, if you, if you stick back for a second and you say, is that how the Jews see those stories? Now you could say, well, that's not important. If you believe that if you just accept and trust that there is a consistent and coherent continuity between Judaism and Christianity, you may never ask that question. Um, and that was kind of like the simple question that I think this Jewish guy on the one forum kind of you know lobbed in my direction, and I took it. You know, again, being open to ideas and being like, well, if there is no, I can I have no th- nothing to fear from falsehood because the truth is always true. So either this is true, in which case adopting the truth is good, or it's false, in which case I've got nothing to worry about. Um, and the simple question was, you know, there's all these. Christian perspectives of these stories from Judaism. And in particular, you know, the Christianity says that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. So to some degree, you could ask the question, on by the Jewish metrics of what the Messiah is supposed to be, and by the Jewish understanding of these stories, does Jesus fit the bill? Does the Christian story fit the bill? Because the claim of Christianity is that it is a fulfillment of these stories. Um and so that was kind of like the question. I'm like, okay, well, I've always been assuming, right? Because you know that Jesus was a Jew and you know you kind of have the whole story of the Gospels where he's living in essentially in a Jewish world and he is a Jew. And so you, you don't ever really question like whether or not the views he had as a Jew, or at least I shouldn't even say the views he had, because actually I think if you go and you enumerate the things Jesus actually said against Judaism, they're not that far off. It's more like what gets said about Jesus in the formation of Christianity that that steps, up, steps away from that. Um, but if you were to just evaluate it on those grounds, I think you start to identify a, a lot of con- inconsistencies, right? Um, and really, the, inconsist- the inconsistencies boil down to the Christian story does not make sense as the extension of Judaism it claims to be. And then I guess for me, that was like, well, if it's. If it doesn't make sense as the extension of Judaism it claims to be, I don't even really care about the rest of its claims, right? And this is where I, I, you know, I was saying earlier, I think it would be stronger if it didn't try to be an extension of Judaism. If it were just attempting to be a story of salvation from sin, I think it's far more compelling. And I think in practice, many Christians actually view it that way. Many Christians are not familiar enough with Judaism or Jews or Jewish philosophy or really the Old Testament. To really be able to like question in any serious manner the extension of Judaism Christianity claims to be, and so they don't. I think they take it on face value. A lot of Christians spend all their time in the New Testament, and they don't even really consider or try to make it consistent with the Old Testament. They just assume this continuity, and then you know, in that perspective, I think it's a more interesting story of salvation. One I don't buy, but one that's not like fundamentally inconsistent from in the beginning um and you know for me that was really what led to um at least walking away from christianity it took a little bit from that point for me to i guess take on judaism as a belief system because it's kind of complicated hard to understand And i think as a recovering christian um it doesn't there's a lot of things that are very different about judaism that are hard to like to grips with so I guess for a little bit I was just like, well, I don't really have any religion, you know. I still sort of believe in God. Um, I've never been in this place where the concept of God didn't make sense to me. Um, now, do I think that God has like all of the anthropomorphic traits that tend to be given to him? No. Um, even though I just used the word him, right? Like God, it, the concept, the fundamental force in the universe really how I think about it now. Um, uh, it makes sense to me, right? I don't need it, right? But it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I, just, I don't know, I've never really felt the need to question it. And I've always thought questioning it was weird. Um, so like, for instance, it, when we're you know, talking about Christianity, its consistency with Judaism, it's like, that's kind of a, a more down-to-earth claim to be challenged and like worth challenging, I guess. Especially if you're talking about how to live your life if you're going to try to align with the life principles of some of these things. Um, But then like if a person says like, well, I believe there's this force in the universe called God and I make decisions based on my belief in that force. I guess I don't see that as being so different from when people do anything based on an internal desire. So like, let's say there's no God and then I'm living my life based on my reason and on my desires and on my, you know, the things I've been evolved to have. I don't think that, I don't put like, if you, if your motiv- motivating factor is this deity you believe in, it doesn't really strike me as any different than like, you might do something because your desire, your biological desire to reproduce inspires you or motivates you to do a number of things that make you an, an attractive partner for reproduction, right? There's no, there's no need to like justify that, you know? Um, and I've always felt like questioning the mere existence of God or like getting uppity about it kind of would be like getting uppity about the fact that humans have this innate desire to reproduce. But I guess in a lot of ways, like my belief in God is, flows out from what I think is just a fundamental human motivating force similar to like the desire to reproduce where we have this internal sense Desire, longing for a higher force, power, whatever you might call it, that motivates us to do certain things. I think it's why we search for meaning in a lot of different aspects of life. I think it's why we, um, we add this layer on top of nature that doesn't need to exist. Humans do, right? Um, and I'm not saying that that. Justifies believing in God. But I'm like, I don't know that you need to justify it to just point out that, that, that that's there. Just like, I don't, I don't need to understand that from a biological perspective, having a seriously strong desire to reproduce increases the odds that your species will survive longer. Of course it does. However, even without that explanation of it, you can certainly observe the effect of that. You can certainly say, huh, it seems like lots and lots of people have this biological desire, arguably a need to reproduce, and damn near all human activity flows from that. (laughs) You know? Um, I think similarly, when I look at humanity and I look at the fact that, like, more than half the world's population believe in a religion of some kind, believe in a deity of some kind, kind of put it in that same box of, like, seems to me that humans also have this need in addition to the need and desire to reproduce to imbue like a semantic layer of meaning on top of like the base things we observe in nature and there's also this need to like have that all be coherent and in a unifying view i think that that drive is also why science works like it we only do science because we feel like there has to be an order to it all. Um, and so I, I, you know I think that drive, that need within us to try to find and identify and observe order and explain things and invent things like mathematics. like it's ridiculous. Like the monk, monkeys didn't invent ma- mathematics. We've invented this whole field of mathematics that works. I mean, I think the shocking thing is it works when we apply it. Um, and like, arguably. There's no reason to do that. I don't know that we need to do that, and and I don't. I guess in, in a lot of ways, like I don't question that we did. I don't. I don't actually see our doing it and think, oh man, what's our what's our motivating factor for it? Because it works. And so I think when I think about God and and believing in a deity, I kind of put it in that same box. It's like yes, the majority of the humans on the planet have a feeling that they would describe as belief in a deity, and that feeling is a motivating feeling, typically in a positive-ish direction. Now it can be corrupted and used in a negative way. But that basically explains, you know, why I don't why I guess I, you know, I'd say believe in God and I don't really question it the same way that I would question, you know, a formulation of facts like Christianity is an extension of Judaism. Um so anyway, I, I was kind of in this amorphous place of a religion, but still being a believer in God. And then I guess I just dug into Judaism more. Now I, I do think if you're a Christian and you don't end up an atheist in leaving Christianity, which happens to a lot of people. Um, you, at GDM is kind of a natural next choice. Um, in large part because half of the Christian Bible, more than half actually, there are more books in the Old Testament than in the New. Um, more than half of the Christian Bible is the quote unquote Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. And if you are at all familiar with those stories, not hard to shift to the Jewish perspective. Now, if you spent your whole life believing, that there's like sin, which is fundamentally tainted man, and you have Jesus and his sacrifice as the redeeming factor that's going to propel you towards eternal salvation away from eternal damnation, there's really none of that in Judaism. So it's, it's, it can be different to overcome that and understand a lot of, like, what is it the Jews actually believe? Um, and so, I mean, I would argue, if I were to simplify it, right, Jews basically believe that God gives them commandments those commandments make the world a better place and that's the point um so as an example and this is something that really compelled me about it there's no real belief in an afterlife in judaism um and it's not that it's a disbelief and it's not that there's a belief it's that a it's 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 a question mark it is unknown it is uncertain what happens when we die and it's uncertain on purpose because god put us here to make this world a better place So if you were to, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, the divine mandate that an evangelical Christian sees themselves as having, Um, and I guess sort of the the way to reach divine salvation or eternal salvation in Christianity is belief in Jesus and and evangelizing and all that stuff. For Jews, I'd say if you were to, you know, try to find that equivalent divine mandate, it's, you know, Jews were put here to... um, Obey the commandments that God has given, and and thereby, you know, there's this kind of um, concept of like completing creation. You know, God started started it, and then like we kind of finish it. And the way we finish it is by following the commandments that God gave us, and and, and in doing so, improve the world. Um, and if you're viewing the world in that way, then like an afterlife is really a distraction you don't really need. Um, arguably, it can only do more harm than good to wonder about what happens when you die if your demand your divine mandate is to make this world a better place um and you know there's there is some concept of like i don't want to get saying like there's nothing right but you know the concept of the world to come which is something jews talk about um you could argue is like an afterlife concept but it's not you know again it's not clear that that's like a post-death revival of the people who have died into this like eschatological and I think that um, it's you could argue and, and I think many Jews do that the world to come is merely what this physical world we live in looks like when we have made it better through our deliberate action um, so I don't know I mean I guess for me that's a super compelling philosophy and um, in fact I mean I, I remember hitting a point so like you know a lot of evangelical Christians will talk about the truth and their pursuit of trying to get people to switch. And like, I would, I would even argue, right? Like the C.S. Lewis trilemma I mentioned, like the whole Lord lunatic or liar concept that only works if the truth is important. Right? So it's like, Hey, you have to figure out what's true. And you have this Jesus figure who is important and you could, you've got all, you know, over a billion Christians you have to reckon with, whether or not you think, what do you think of this guy who made this claim about being the savior of man and being the son of God. And you have to decide, like if Jesus were standing in front of you with that claim, you would have to decide, are you, is he, is he, is he telling the truth? Is he the Lord? Um, or is he crazy? Or is he lying? Um, like he doesn't believe that and he knows it's not true and he's just trying to sell me on it. Or he truly does believe it, but he's crazy because he's wrong, right? So that's the trilemma. That trilemma only works Well, I don't think it works even if you do think you're looking for the truth, but we'll get to that. It only works if you believe in searching for the truth, right? Um, Now, I think where it falls apart is there's actually a fourth option, which is the guy standing in front of me telling me that he is the son of God coming with my my eternal salvation. He could just be irrelevant, (laughs) right? Um, And that's, I guess, a bit of like, I can opt out of the trilemma by saying, well, his claim is irrelevant because he is irrelevant. He's just some guy. I don't actually have to come to a conclusion about the claims of any person. And I think that's where Lewis's trilemma falls apart is that it presumes that Jesus is worth considering. Um, and so if I t- step away from the Christian belief that he's important and I go to the starting position, which is he's just some guy that I encountered on the street and he's making this claim a very valid option is I don't have to consider the claims or the truthhood or the, the veracity of the claims made by any random person I encounter. I can keep going about my day and say, I'm sorry person, but you are irrelevant and I'm going to keep going. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know that that's fully, I mean, I guess you could argue that's kind of rude, right? But I think, I mean, in practice, no one does that. No one spends their time Considering the truth claims of literally every claim that every human makes, we don't have time for that. We don't have the energy for that. Um, so, but but you know this philosophy. So if you believe in that, you believe in looking for the truth. Then, um, you know, I I think that's how you get drawn into religious arguments. And I don't anymore. You know, as a little kid, I did a lot. (laughs) You know, and that you know my Christian zeal, and then even a little bit after I shed Christianity and kind of started putting on the. Judaism pants, Judaism pants, um, I, you still, still enjoy a good, healthy, religious debate. And even now, I mean, I guess over some sake and some good food, I'd, I'd entertain it. But it's not important anymore. Um, and and I, had, I remember crossing this line of thinking, like, there's a point where it doesn't matter if, if the story is true. Um, and this is where, like, so you know, I mentioned the, the core Jewish philosophy and I'm like condensing a lot of really brilliant, awesome philosophy within the Jewish world that you should all go read if you're into that. Um, but I'm condensing it down into, really it comes down to your divine duty is to make this world, this physical imperfect world we live in a better place to your continuous choosing of good over evil right, your continuous choosing to obey the commandments, right, you know, the reward for obeying commandments is the opportunity to obey some more, right, so, like, the, and, and, and the fruit of all of that is this world we've been given as a gift gets better, there's an infinite potential we have to make heaven on earth, right, like, that's how, if I were being poetic about it, I would say, like, the Jewish view isn't, if I do everything right, I'll die and go to heaven, That's not really the Jewish view. The Jewish view is: if I do everything right, Earth will become heaven. Like that is the world to come. We we made heaven into earth through our, through our commitment to obedience to like the divine will. Um, that's a pretty compelling philosophy. Like the philosophy that we first of all believing we can make the world better. I do think that there's kind of like this fundamental contention, um, or not contention, but a fundamental tension between. Um, Christianity and Judaism, like the underlying philosophies. Because I think from the Jewish view, you, you do believe, you sort of have to believe, the world can be made better. And it will, through our choosing of obedience to the divine will. If, I think from the Christian perspective, you take the view that mankind in this world is fundamentally tainted with sin. And but for Jesus' salvation, it is condemned to eternal ruin. And all those who do not choose it are also condemned to eternal ruin until such a day as Jesus, not us, but, but God himself, through my miraculous and divine intervention, makes a heaven into which only those who believe enter. I think that leaves you with, like, the, the implication there is the world cannot be improved. Your only option is to believe in Jesus. And to relinquish your willpower and your your freedom and your action and your life to the cause of belief in Jesus and whatever faith in that demands of you. And then you will be given heaven. You'll you won't earn heaven. Arguably, you you could you could. I mean, I think there's a pretty big aspect of at least Protestant Christianity, where it's like you cannot earn heaven. You can only have faith in Jesus and then heaven will be given to you, right? That is, that is the, the mercy that you have been given in salvation is that you don't deserve it and you can't get to a point where you deserve it. Merely you, you have to believe and then, and then, you know, you'll get this gift of heaven. And I I know I think that those are sort of really, really opposing underlying philosophies. And I do think that if you believe that you don't believe you can make the world better. So there's a whole like commentary I could go down and maybe will someday on how I think that underlying aspect of Christianity actually explains a lot of some of the I guess let's just call it contentious aspects of Western politics. Um especially when you consider that a lot of conservatives in Western politics are like come from a Christian background. You know, I sort of think there's this there is an underlying bit of where your priorities should lie, right? I do think it comes down to that, basically. If you think that the world is essentially damned, but for Jesus' salvation and your faith in him, the things you prioritize are very different than if you believe that the world isn't eternally damned. And if it were on that trajectory, the only thing that could stop it from being on that trajectory is you deliberately making it better. Um, that leads to like really different <laughs> practical approaches, I think to how you live your life. Um, and I would argue that like some of the reason why a lot of Western politics and, and by Western, I just mean like basically anything that comes from that descends from the Western European like philosophy and Renaissance, which really, you know, has Christianity as like the core religious concept within it. Right. Going back hundreds of years, you know, basically, you know, since, the time of jesus is what christians would say christianity has been you know once um was it constantine you know made it a point of eliminating paganism in the western world you basically were just left with christianity as this animating religious force So whether it's catholic or protestant and throughout all of the west you have or western europe i guess and then its descendants like in north america um you you have this like very christian ideal dominating um and i think under it is the world can't be made better. God can save the world. God can save you. But you can't save yourself. You need Jesus. And the world can't save itself. The world needs God's divine intervention. Like, what kind of policies do you recommend when that is your philosophy? Versus if your philosophy is, I believe that I am here to make the world better, like I have been given commands, and the result of these commands is to make the world better. And the metric is to make the world better. Um, you know, that's, that leads, I think, if you were to take it into the political arena, very different political views. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, every single person with that view is going to be of a certain political bend. I don't know that it's just a one to one mapping. Um, but I do think that it does lead to like some very different um very different actions a person takes and and policies a person takes on. So um I hit a point when, you know, in, in seeing the I would call it a beautiful philosophy, right? Like we're here to make the world better at at God at God's command and with his support. Um you hit a point where like, okay, so let's say the stories within Judaism, right? The story of the Exodus, the story of Mount Sinai Um, especially as a non-Jew right so quick side note within Judaism you have Jews who are the descendants of the group of people who left Egypt right and then you have everyone else basically you are not a blood descendant of that You're, you're technically not a Jew in the in the like blood sense right but that doesn't mean that you're worthless and it also doesn't mean that you have to become a Jew Jewish religion is very flexible like and this is why Jews don't really evangelize um There's no salvation that you're chasing. So because there isn't a pursuit of salvation after death, there's also no need to convert people. So you don't have to convert to be a Jew, to be a good person, or to quote unquote go to heaven. That's not a thing. Everyone, every human alive has something they can and should be doing to make this world a better place. And in the Jewish world, those are what commandments are Um, now does everyone need to have the exact same set of commandments? And this is another like, big difference within Judaism, which is the answer to that is no, because everyone is not in the same context and the same situation at all times. And so the, the Jewish commandments and the way they sort of flesh out over time is kind of dynamic because the whole point is to make this world better, right? At God's command, right? You do believe there are commands God has given. The fact that God commands a certain person in a certain time to do a certain thing does not mean that God commands you in this time to do the same thing that that person did in that time in that context. Arguably, it would be wrong to just assume that. It, what you should do is understand and apply the principles that have been given throughout the Torah and, and throughout you know, the rest of you know, Judaism to your time and your context in order to do what is right in that time or mo- moving the world in a you know, holier direction. It's this whole concept of, like, tukun olam, as they call it. Um, so you don't have to be a Jew, right? And, and I think that when I look at the stories, you know, because you look at the Bible and you could say, well, there are some who would say, well, the story of the exodus from Egypt is false, and the story of Mount Sinai is false, because there's all this, these, there are, um, if it were true, there would be archaeological artifacts that have not been discovered, blah, 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 right? And, like, we can go through and talk about the a historicity of the stories in the old testament. And you know, eventually I hit this point of like, cool, whatever, right? <laughs> like let's say they're all false. Let's just assume they're false, right? Absent any empirical evidence to the contrary, let's just assume they're false. Does it is it a valuable animating philosophy to have, to believe that you are here by divine mandate to make this physical world a better place? I would argue absolutely yes. Um now you could argue, like you would take the a religious and atheist perspective of well I can come to that same conclusion and I could become, you know, basically a rational humanist and I don't need fanciful stories and I don't need a god to do that. I mean I don't sure, right? I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, I would merely point out that humans are all about fanciful stories, whether they're religious or not. We make I mean, you look at like fucking, I don't know, Skyrim, right? Beautiful game story, whatever, Kingdom Hearts, beautiful game story. Like throughout our history, we make stories and we allow these stories to animate us and give us purpose and meaning and joy. So I, I don't, you know, when I look at some of these stories now, I'm like, I don't know that it matters so much that maybe the animating story for the Jewish people is that God delivered them from Egypt. And what they took away from it is we were given commandments that make the world a better place. I do think perhaps you could. You maybe could question it on the grounds of like, well, are, do those commandments make the world a better place? And then you could just empirically evaluate, like, are the things that they feel like they need to be doing things that actually make the world a better place when done? And, you know, personally, I think probably yes. I mean, on, on the whole, right? Maybe there's like little things where you could say, well, that doesn't necessarily make a difference, but, or maybe there's like little things you could say make things worse, but I'd say on the whole, right? It, it definitely does. And I think if you look at it through that lens of an animating philosophy, um, you know, then it doesn't matter to me, I guess, if it's true, like if the stories that the religion contains are true. So, you know, basically when, when people ask me, you know, what's your religion, right? Um, a lot of times it'll be people who've known me for a while and like, hey, do you still consider yourself Jewish? Um, you know, do you still believe in Judaism? I mean, and the answer is yes. But, you know, I, I, what I say now is like, well, I'm a heretic. The reason I'm a heretic is just because I have let go of the need to believe that the stories are true, right? Um, I, you know, sort of take this view of really all religion that everyone has the symbols they need to um, help them make sense of the world. We all pick our set of symbols, and then through that set of symbols, we understand the world. Um, Arguably, Godel, Kurt Godel made the same argument in um, his incompleteness theorem. Um so you know I think mathematicians maybe are a little bit more amenable to this maybe this is how I ended up as a mathematician myself um because you basically say well you have your premises and then you pick a set of symbols and then from there you can you know logically derive a number of things that are practically useful and that's all we're actually capable of really um I you know I talked a bit about um I've talked probably three or four times on this podcast about the case against reality by Dr. Donald Hoffman and you know, again, this is maybe an unfair compressing and distillation of that book, but it's really saying the same thing. We as humans have an interface through which we view the world. So his argument against reality isn't that there isn't a reality; it's just the only reality we could possibly know is the reality we construct through the symbols we've chosen to understand the world—symbols, archetypes, um, concepts, paradigms, whatever. Right? I'm, I'm I'm using symbol pretty broadly there um and i would say that it's the same with religion whatever your animating philosophy is you know i sort of am at the point now where i care more about what is your animating philosophy and at its core i want to know do you as a person as an individual believe that your action is not only capable of but necessary for making the world a better place um you know when i say that i still believe in judaism i think that it is as a religion the the one which most comprehensively captures that in a philosophy, and in a way that has more or less remained true over time, and in a way that has very clear, um, standout examples of that. And I think you know, I guess maybe more importantly, at the same time, is skewing a post-death afterlife. Personally, I just think if there's a post post-death afterlife you're looking forward to. That, that is not a compelling animating philosophy for me because I think it's fundamentally at odds with making the world we, we're in better. Um, and I think, you know, of all the religions I've sort of looked into with any level of depth, Judaism goes the furthest in that direction. Um, and a lot of the ones, others that, that do, um, you know, relate to or kind of extend from Judaism. Whereas, you know, the, the folks who are kind of like, well, someday there'll be this grand end and after that, grand end, paradise. Just, you know, miss me with that. Now, that doesn't mean that those people should not take that animating philosophy and make the world a better place. And, and to that point, if you do make the world a better place with that, great. Like I'm grateful for that. Uh, I've met a number of religious groups over time that I think do great work. Um, obviously, a big one is Jews. Um, I do think that there are now, if, if there were a complaint, right? Um, or an observation folks could make about it, it'd be like, well, it tends to be somewhat insular, somewhat Jews first. Um, but I, I do think that the, the value that they provide still, even with that, is, is great. And I've, I've personally benefited from the hospitality and the kindness of Jews. And in particular, you know, I talked about earlier how one of the things that always, um, or one of the natural oppositions that I had to Christianity was, you know, being gay. I never experienced the same level of like anti-gay vigor in the Jewish world as I did in the Christian world. Now that's not to say it's not there because I, it is, and I've read stories about it, and I've you can certainly find um, aspects of it. Now I you know maybe there's an element of like because I'm not a Jew, I wasn't born a Jew, I don't have a, a the the blood heritage of a Jew. I don't I didn't encounter the worst of the brunt of that. Um, but in the places I went where they were, you know, I've been in pretty fairly religious Jewish communities and you know I never saw any no no overt like angry vigor towards it. If anything it was like oh, okay, well cool. But you know there's still these things we're, we're still going to be hospitable we're we're still going to be hospitable. We're still going to do these things that we're supposed to be doing. Um and just in general I think that there's you know again if your philosophy is we have to make the world a better place through our actions and 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 we believe that God has commanded us to do so by taking care of each other, taking care of the poor, taking care of the oppressed, feeding the hungry, et cetera. I think that's a pretty awesome, motivating um, philosophy. And I I see, um, you know, I've met personally. I mean, I've personally been in places where I've seen Jews doing this, religious Jews, non-religious Jews. Now, there's also lots of other groups, right? I mean, I would say that the biggest that comes to mind, or at least the most forceful that comes to mind in my own personal experience is Mormons. Mormons are some of the most, I guess outwardly at least, um, friendly people I've ever met. And I, I've seen also personally like the, the positive impacts of Mormon groups on trying to make society better. Now, you know, again, with any group you can, especially religious groups, you can find examples of them not making society better or you can like make an argument for how they've made it worse. But in terms of just basic helping people out, providing them with resources, being hospitable and friendly and a welcoming place. Mormons are also, you know, there's a lot of Mormons that do a lot of great work there. Obviously the Catholic church is huge in that as well. And even Christianity, I mean, the church that I grew up in, you know, every month they would spend at least one weekend walking around the neighborhood, helping homeless people, giving out free meals. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, and this is kind of where, you know, when I, when I plant my flag solidly in heretic land, I, you know, I'm a heretic because I I really don't think religion matters that much. Like the, the, the clothes your religion wears don't matter so much as the character of the person in the clothes right and, and and if you choose to put on christianity clothes or you choose to put on islam clothes or you know church of latter day saints clothes or jewish clothes what is your character still right and and if that animating philosophy leads you to do good to help the poor to engage in society to have compassion in your heart for people who are different or worse off than you as all of those religions command in some way regardless of like the ultimate implications of it um i don't know i think that that's a that's a good thing right and 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 i'd say the same about an, a person with no religion and no god you know if you're an atheist with no religion i don't even i don't care about that right i don't i don't you know i'm a i'm a heretic because i don't care at this point what a person says they are religiously or why they say it is i'm fascinated by and curious to hear people's stories when they tell me about the beauty they see in the religion they've chosen, or the not religion they've chosen. But what I really want to know is, are you the kind of person who, from whatever animating philosophy you live by, are you the kind of person that goes out and does good thing? I does good things. I am incredibly grateful to the good people I have met in my life who, by their own statement, were sent, you know, told me they were doing the good things because of their religious beliefs. Right? I mean, that includes my parents in some cases. That includes people in the various Christian churches that I've met and includes people in various synagogues I've met and in various Jewish communities that I've met. I, I think that, you know, you know, I'm more than happy to sit down with a person and talk about religion and get into like the nitty gritty of the symbology we've chosen and whatever, but I'm not going to debate it. You know, it's, it's not, it doesn't, it'd be like debating why a person's wearing jeans. You know, if they want to wear jeans because they they're comfortable to them, like why debate it? Let's, let's talk about what they do wearing those jeans. Like, are you out here doing good work for humanity? Um, And and I guess, by converse, you know, are you not doing work as a result of that animating belief that makes us all worse off? Um, Because I I do think it's particularly onerous if someone takes that animating philosophy and uses it as a justification to do things that make us all worse off. So, I don't know, that's that's really, you know, what I wanted to cover in this episode. Um, You know, if you know me, and you know that i was a christian and went into the whole judaism belief you know you don't need to ask me every time you see me like oh are you still into that whole judaism thing i get that question a lot (laughs) um and i got it recently which is the inspiration for the uh, this episode and the answer is yes i still i still hold judaism as the animating philosophy by which i i live my life um because I just think it's fucking awesome. Right. And, and the symbology within it and in those stories that I, you know, I don't care if they're true or not. So you can't come to me if you're a not religious person and say, yeah, but the blah, 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 yeah. that's not historical. Like, that's not the point, dude. You're missing the point. <laughs> the point is to have an animating philosophy and live by it. I mean, no more than if you fucking watched, you know, read superhero comics and you took away from the philosophy of the superhero comics that you want to live your life for good. I think some people do many people probably like I don't just to sit and say yeah but like Superman's not a real person great so like some little kid wants to do good in the world because of Superman and you're going to tell them that Superman's not real like yes let's all go piss in each other's cereal not really about that um but yes I am a I'm a her I'm a I'm a person who believes in Judaism um I'm a heretic though because I don't I don't care about it the religion aspect right I think that the I mean I personally do believe that you know, I've been commanded by God to make the world a better place with the commandments I've been given. But I don't think that that story changes making the world a better place with the actions one takes that does that. And I think we can all, regardless of our religions, find unity um, am- amongst one another by just evaluating um, that. Like, how do we intend to make the world better? And then, like, where are we successful? I think we can all, if we like use that as the, the metric by which we re- interrelate on religion and evaluate one another and, and choose to associate with one another, I think that's a, you know, we get pretty far in the positive direction. And even if you are someone who is kind of like, well, I'm not really going to bother with making the world better because I, I don't think it can get better. I think I'm just going to die and go to heaven. You know, maybe that's the person I would spend more energy trying to convince into a different philosophy because now that I'm older and, and I've met. A broader swath of christians you know i have met christians with more or less consistent views or like like internally consistent views where they kind of maintain christianity but they shed some of the like what i would call toxic toxic parts and then they still somehow manage to walk away with this belief of like post-death redemption and salvation um but it animates them to do good good in the world you know in that case i'm like cool Um, The only people we really need to do any convincing of are people who don't think that their action can make the world a better place. And I think we need to give them whatever philosophy will resonate with them and will work with them. Um, Whatever convincing, whatever philosophy, whatever story will help them wake up in the morning and get out of the bed and say, you know, I think I want to try to make make the world a better place today. I, You know, again, I could care less the content of, of that story. I could care less how true the story is. All I care about is like when we all meet out in the world, and we all you know sort of work and grind and struggle together. Um, and we're hopefully we're all doing it in the positive direction to make the world a better, better place. Hopefully we're all doing it um, with a with a fair amount of fascination and curiosity for the beauty each of us sees differently in the world. And hopefully we're all doing it, you know, sincerely and, and with compassion in our hearts. So, um, you know, again, i I've been lucky and grateful to have had very, very compassionate and patient people sit with my indignant and zealous self to help me to expand my views and, and adopt um, a greater set of uh, perspectives, be able to put on someone else's shoes. I'd say like that was probably the first instance as my like post-id self growing up, right? Like in my psychological development, you know, you're a baby and then you're just like all id and then like, you know, eventually you've got like ego and I guess maybe eventually super ego, but like my first, I guess, higher order self, one of the first instances of putting on someone else's shoes was, I remember, you know, it, was, it really was that moment of, hey, these stories that, that Christians have sort of co-opted from the Jews, what, do, how do the Jews see those stories, right? And, you know, I could say it was the first successful instance of me being like, huh, maybe I should consider that they might have a view of these stories that's different than the way we view it and you know basically the rest is history it was kind of all uh a wrap for christianity once i did that because i was like well i like their version better (laughs) i think their version's a bit more compelling you know and that's just for me right i mean i'm not going to say that everybody has to take on that perspective but certainly for me um it is that way anyway uh thank you all for coming back again to yet another week this this week i did again we're on a roll now i haven't recorded you know between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m for basically since episode nine that was the last episode i did that now that we've put the episode to come out on thursday um i'm feeling it i'm feeling it um i did mention a couple episodes ago wanting to do some kind of more interactive thing still trying to figure out how i want to make that happen obviously i have the stream so if you were to go to like any other streaming well not youtube but i stream on facebook i stream on twitch the laughing man um You can find me there and catch me doing some gaming streams or on Twitch only music streams. Um, And then, but that's now only sort of interactive with this kind of, I guess, topical content around gratitude and and curiosity and exploration. I don't really have anything that's bi-directional. So I talked a bit about before about maybe like doing like clubhouse sessions or maybe a Twitter space or something. Um, If you follow the Twitter, the at Just Here Club Twitter, um, you know, stay tuned there for updates there's also the website just here club and i would post there about such things um you could also just follow my personal socials the laughing man on pretty much any any platform and you know i'll i'll put out there if i'm going to do like a I don't know a clubhouse session or a twitter space or i don't know whatever it is the kids these are doing these days to interact maybe we'll all meet in vr chat you know <laughs> maybe we'll all uh, put on some vr headsets from meta and we'll meet or not meta because you can VR chat from anywhere but maybe we'll all don headsets and, and meet in vr but um yeah that's this episode thanks for coming along and i will catch you in the next one